Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined, as always, by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Tired. Busy. If we have any ministers that listen other than us, yes, you can probably relate. I feel like yeah. it's that time of year for, you know, youth ministers time of year is like summer. That's when everything has mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everything going on. I feel like this is one of those times of the year for like preachers, non-youth ministers. Um, yeah, there's like, you know, you know you're, there's like wrapping up. If you have a theme for the year or something, there's kind of the tying up of the, of that. There's planning for next year, right? Oh yeah, that you've got all the stuff you're trying to get, and well, and then you've got all the holidays and stuff that yeah. comes with it. You know, you've got most people around Halloween. Your church is doing pr- something: fall festival, trunk or treat, you know, something like that. Thanksgiving, you normally have special stuff, whether service or Thanksgiving baskets, that kind of stuff that a lot of churches do. Um, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. So oh. I know we're trying to figure out what we're doing. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. Christmas Day is on a Sunday. Thank you. <laughs> so I know we're trying to figure out what we're doing uh, for church, uh, what that service is going to look like. Yeah. Um, and I know some churches that do Christmas services every year. Uh, so those are normally a lot of work, too, because there's normally a lot more that goes into that sure. than a normal. So, yeah, it's that time of year. Just a lot of stuff. Um, for me, too, I get... I, I take vacation like over the New Year's week. It's a little pushed this year, um, but there's that as well. It's like okay, I gotta tie things up and get ready because then I leave for a week and then come back and it's like, hey, this is what we're doing this year because uh, I'm midway in January by that point. So it's yeah, you know, I never really thought about it, but it's summer for summer for youth ministers generally, and then. So like it's the beginning slash beginning of the year, uh, end of the year slash beginning of the year, that like little transition period. Yeah. I feel like that's the mo- busiest time, for, uh, particularly for preachers, because you've got a lot going on, whether it within your church community, stuff like that with the holidays and stuff. But then you've got to get everything ready for whatever your push is and theme is and all that for next year and then like budget meetings normally at the end of the year yeah maybe you have the budget uh, set uh if you're doing like gospel meeting type things or other stuff that's normally like spring or fall (laughs) other retreats it's just yeah well thanks for the christmas revelation that was real disappointing to me uh i didn't know that i'm glad to know it now i guess because i have time to prepare for that (laughs) but i i did not know that it was on uh, on yep. Christmas this year, so okay, or on a Sunday this year, incredible. All right, well, uh, let's get into our episode, which has nothing to do with Christmas <laughs> or <laughs> or busyness. I don't know. Last uh, last episode, we talked about uh, from a cultural culture worldly perspective. Couldn't get those words out. Uh, the overvaluing of sex and the undervaluing of marriage. And we defined what we were meaning by world uh, in that episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, we encourage you to do so. Uh, But we we talked about the overvaluing of sex and the undervaluing of marriage. Some of the things that the world gets right, but then also some of the the pieces where uh, there's a a miss uh, as far as how things are actually supposed to work. Uh, On this episode, 
we're going to switch those roles a little bit of the undervaluing of sex. And that's uh, it. We're saying it that way as kind of a mirror to the previous episode. It's a weird thing to kind of phrase undervaluing of sex, but we'll get into all that in a moment. Uh, as well as the overvaluing of marriage, looking at the church in both of those respects uh, and how Christians treat those two topics. Before we get into all of that, uh, I want to remind you about thinkingtheologically.org, where we not only have these episodes and the show notes to all of the episodes so you can follow along with our outlines, uh, we also have uh, archived a lot of our older episodes, other episodes uh, from previous are coming as well, and additional bonus written stuff uh, that you should definitely check out. Within this series that we're doing now between the last lesson and this one, uh, I'm uh, preaching on subjects like homosexuality and transgenderism, uh, abortion and hookup culture. I actually finished that the day that you're hearing this. It'll be the, the Sunday that follows. I'll finish that up. All of that stuff will be edited and uploaded for you on thinkingtheologically.org if you're interested in those things. So definitely check out the website. Our Facebook page will let you know when those things go live. So we encourage you to like us on Facebook, Thinking Theologically. Uh, you can also get a hold of us there uh, for messaging or on our personal accounts if you're friends with us or on Twitter and everywhere else if you use those things, but you can only get Spencer there because he is younger than me by a few years, and I am, I'm the old man. I'm the grumpy old man who only uses Facebook. Uh, You're not that much older than me. I know, but... And I'm not that young anymore. You know, I just started playing on a, in a basketball league. Oh, yeah? And I'm one of the older guys on the team. Man. Uh, Weird. It's very, very... Weird. I don't know how this works out because you play, I play disc golf, which is, well, you can play as an older guy, but it's not like an old man sport. Um, but you play regular golf, which is viewed as an old yeah. man sport. But I also have three children, eight and under, which I feel has aged me quickly too. So I don't know. I think we're both older than we actually are. And I might have... I might be more than just a few years older than you, and we account for all of the variables of life. <laughs> it's no know. excuse to only have a Facebook. Well, that's what I've got. So, uh, But I do use it. I don't stalk people there. I do actually use it. Anyway, you can reach out to us in, in those places, uh, as well as strongchurchministries at gmail.com with comments, questions, criticisms, or topics that you'd like for us to cover in future episodes. We've got a bunch, but we're more than happy to insert uh, some uh, community questions uh, from those that listen to our podcast. So all that being said, uh, let's flip the script on last week's or our last episode of the overvaluing of sex and the undervaluing of marriage from a worldly standpoint and look at the undervaluing of sex and the overvaluing of marriage from uh, the church or Christian standpoint here. Spencer, let's talk about the undervaluing of sex. Where do you want to start uh, with that subject? Yeah, like you said, it it might strike people as a weird way to phrase something, to say that the church undervalues sex. Um, It's good aesthetically, though. It was really good for our design. (laughs) Yes, it it, it fits well, but I also think that that's very much true. And what we mean by undervaluing sex is simply the fact that we don't 
talk about sex in church. We don't like to talk about it. And our lack of being able to talk about it uh, is undervaluing it. To, to not talk about something that is important, that is valuable, is to undervalue it, I think. Um, yeah. I just think of I just think some of, of some examples in my relatively short preaching career. I know one church that I was at. I started first year I was there. I started preaching through uh, Ephesians, and Paul's got a section in there about sexual morality. And when you get to that, you've got to deal with it. You've got to talk. Mm-hmm. If you're preaching mm-hmm. through Ephesians, you got to preach through a book. You got to deal with it when you get there. So we got there. We dealt with it. We talked about it. Um, and I had a, a older lady who was a member of our congregation come up to me afterwards and tell me that I, she thought that I had said sex in that one sermon more times than had ever been said in that <laughs> auditorium. And I don't. I I, I just you said. Probably did. I just said okay and moved on. Like I didn't know if that was if that was a compliment. Like I'm glad we're talking about it. If it was a negative thing, like I can't believe it, or if it was just like a neutral observation. Like here's some information for you. It doesn't mean anything to me, but just so you know. Did she say? Uh, I don't know. Did she say sex, or did she say I think you've said that word? Like could she? You know what? I don't remember. To, okay. All right. I don't remember. I want to say she said it. Incredible. But but now that you <laughs> ask that question, I feel like maybe she didn't. So, but that goes to the point that that's probably yep. true in most of our like I feel like I could go to most churches and preach that same sermon and get the same reaction. Yeah. Um because we don't like to talk about it. And it's important, it's valuable. We talked last week that it's something created by God. And so to not talk about it is to undervalue it. And that results in a lot of negative things. I, I think that our unwillingness to talk about sex in church gives greater power to sexual temptations and sexual sins, which leads to all kinds of other issues, right? To not talk about sex, what it does is it puts sex in kind of this dark corner that we don't talk about. We act like it's not there. And, you know, that's not just true for churches. It's true in a lot of Christian families as well. Yeah. Don't want to talk about it. So it stays in the dark. It stays in kind of this hidden dark corner. It's there, but nobody wants to act like it's there. Nobody wants to talk about it. And when you leave something in the dark, I think it gives power to it, particularly to the negative side of it. Because sex in and of itself is not a negative thing, but like anything good, there's a negative side to it. It can be used in ways that are not good, that are not helpful. And to leave something in the dark, I think, increases the likelihood of those kind of negative things happening. And so the reverse is also true. When we speak about things, what that does is shines a light on it. And so when you speak about sex, you get it out of the dark corner, you shine a light on it and you give power to the positive expressions of our sexuality and you take power away from the evil and sinful expressions of our sexuality simply by talking about it. And what's interesting is I think on a philosophical level that makes sense. Uh, Talking about things kind of takes power away Uh, but even in the social science psychology arena, uh, studies prove that to be true as well. I know I've mentioned before 
when I was an undergrad, I got a minor in family science and tried at least to the best of my ability as I can to stay up in research in the field uh, to keep up with what people are talking about. And what's interesting is that every study that's ever been done on sexuality has shown that you that the more you talk about sex, in other words, the more knowledge that people have about it, the, the more open you can be in talking about it, the less likely people are to engage in negative sexual behavior. Um, that's true of people with all ages. That includes our kids, our teenagers, our young adults. And that's very, well, and, and, and that even includes uh, things like the availability of contraception, where you would think, well, that's going to encourage people to engage in negative sexual behavior. And every study that's ever been done shows that that's not actually what happens. It might, but again, that's counterintuitive to us, right? You, th- We think the more you talk about it, the more things that are available to people, especially young people, the more likely they are uh, to engage in what we would define as negative sexual behavior, right? As Christians, we believe sex is for a husband and a wife. And so outside of that uh, is for us Christians, negative sexual behavior. But it's interesting that while our minds might want to say, yeah, the more open we are about it, the more we're going to encourage people to do it. It's interesting that when you actually study what goes on in the real world, not just in our minds, but in the real world, that it's the opposite. That the more you talk about it, the less likely people are Mm. to engage in it. The more knowledge somebody has, the less likely they are to go out and experiment with it. That goes back to the light and darkness thing. The more light you shine on it, the more power you take away from the possibility of negative expressions of it. But because we don't talk about it, because we keep it in this dark corner, because we think that the more that we talk about it, that we're going to be encouraging people, uh, particularly our young people, our kids, our our teenagers, uh, even young adults, we're going to be encouraging them to go out and to engage in behaviors that we don't approve of. Because of all those things, I I think the church, uh, Christian families, Christian parents, Christians in general, uh, I think we're scared of sex because of all of those things. I, I think we're terrified of it, and so we don't talk about it. And we're terrified of what will happen when we do talk about it. And we see in churches some very negative results of us being scared of sex, particularly being scared to talk about it. And one of the things that I think that we see is churches tend to push people. I think this is particularly true with Christian men. Uh, We push people, particularly we push Christian men, to get married because we don't believe that they can control their sexual desires. And I think that's a result of, again, when you put sex in the dark corner, you give more more power to it, particularly the negative expressions of it, than if we're willing to talk about it. Uh, but we have kind of this mindset that it's such a powerful thing, and I think we've given it that power because of our inability to talk about it, that particularly men can't control their sexual desires, and so they have to get married. Mm. And we support that belief based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 9, 
He says, uh, in talking about whether to remain unmarried and single or to get married, he says, but if they are not practicing self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to aflame with passion. And so we read that and we say, okay, everyone, particularly men, uh, everyone needs to get married uh, because you can't control yourself. Look what Paul says. We're all aflamed with passion, so we need to get married so that we can express our sexuality in a positive sense. Um, Well, I think to say that, on the one hand, I want to know why do we make Paul's statement here the rule for everyone, right? He says, we have to take into consideration what Paul says. So we have to say, yes, for some people, that's true. What they need to do is to get married because of a burning of passion. Because Paul says it, right? I think we have to say that's true for some people. My question is, why do we assume that that's true for everyone? And also, I would want to ask, why do we assume that it's more true for men than for women? That's another problem that we have in the church. Um, It's a discussion for a a different day. Um, Probably that conclusion has more to do with cultural conventions than with actual biology, biological differences. Um, But that's a discussion for a different day. But that's I think those are important questions to ask. Uh, But at the core, I think just to assume that most people, particularly most men, fall into this category and just need to get married because they can't control themselves, I think this disregards other statements made by Paul. Mm. So in the verse before he says this, this is what he says. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. Paul teaches, in essence, that it's better to remain single than to get married. Now, side note, it seems, yes, Paul's dealing with some specific things that are going on in Corinth. Uh, However, uh, his point, to some degree, still stands. That at least in certain times and with certain people and with certain contexts, it is better to remain single. And so, even though talked about this a little bit in the last episode not all christians are called to singleness just as all christians are not necessarily called to get married as well uh but for paul to say that means that he at least believes that there are enough people that have the capacity to remain single to make the statement that it's better for people to remain single and the question i would want to ask is why don't we assume that most people fall into that category where they can control themselves and maybe should remain single. I'm not saying that more people fall in one or the other. I just want to ask what qualifies us to make those assumptions. I I don't see anything in the text. And from a sociological perspective, I I don't see anything inherent, I I don't think, in our biology to make those statements as well. Um, But I think it also that approach also conflicts with what Paul says in places such as Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but the idea is, uh, Paul says, you had this old self, this old self of sin that engaged in all these different activities. And included in the activities that he talks about is included sexual-related things. 
passion, fornication, evil desire. I mean, uh, um, sexual related sin would fall under all those categories. And Paul says that was your old self. When you, but when you were baptized with Christ, you put off that old self and you have put on a new self. And this new self, Paul says, is a self that is being recreated after the image of our creator. It's being recreated to reflect the image of God back into the creation, which was God's intention for humanity when he created us at the beginning. And our power to do that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what transforms us to look more like God. And you can go to all kinds of places. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, I think of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul has said similar things in a lot of different places about uh, Romans chapter 8, the power of the Spirit that transforms our lives. And one of the things it transforms is our sexuality in that uh, it transforms us to be able to live out our sexuality in the way that God intended. And there's a lot that goes into that. We're not going to get into what all that might look like, but the Spirit plays a role in all of our lives. And so again, to assume that we can't control ourselves, so we have to get married, I think is to undervalue the power of the Spirit in our lives to transform us. Um, And I'll mention that again in a minute. Uh, But connected to that idea is not only, well, you can't control yourself, so you have to get married. But with that is also we tend to caution men and women and again, especially men, we, we just assume that men struggle with this more. And that very well may be the case, but that also very well may be more uh, a cultural conditioning than uh, biological necessity. Again, that's a conversation for a different day. But uh, we caution men and women, more so men, though, uh, not to be friends, not to be alone with, not to be any kind of thing like that with someone of the opposite sex. It's like, well, you can't be alone with, you can't be friends with someone of the opposite sex because, again, you can't control yourself. Uh, You're going to want to have sex with them. They're going to want to have sex with you. You're not going to be able to control yourself, so you just can't do it. You know, don't be friends with someone of the opposite sex. Um, As Christians, our biggest problem with that should be the fact that the church is meant to be a family. It's kind of hard to be a family with the men and women that make up the church if you're not allowed to be close to anybody of the opposite sex. I don't I don't think it's possible to be the kind of family the New Testament envisions uh, if we're approaching our relationships in that way. Yeah. Um, Now, I do think it's important for us to understand ourselves. Uh, to understand our temptations, to understand situations that we can be in and situations that we know, hey, I cannot be in that situation because I can't control myself. Um, And that's not just true with sex, that's true with anything. And so it's important for each individual person to set personal boundaries of, you know, yeah, I can be friends with someone of the the sex, but boundaries that I know for me I have to set in those relationships. That's perfectly healthy. That's perfectly right. I do think that's what we're called to do. But again, I I think you can make the argument. Generally, it's different for everyone. Not everybody's boundaries are going to look exactly the same. And so to make a blanket statement for all people, I think is also problematic because sin works different in the lives of of different people. Uh, The other problem, though, 
though I think as Christians that we should have with that is when we think about what that says about our view of women. Um, so when we tell, again, it's normally we're saying this to men, it's, well, hey, you can't be uh, friends with a female because you're not going to be able to control yourself. And she's not going to be able to control herself. When we say that, no matter how good of our intentions are, I think we actually end up sexualizing women by trying not to sexualize them. Yeah. Uh, because they just kind of become... We end up just viewing them as sexual temptations that men need to run away from. And that's not viewing them as image bearers of God. That's not right. viewing them as equal human beings as men. It's viewing them as sexual objects that men need to fear instead of image bearers of God. But all of that, I think, comes back to what do you believe about the power of the Spirit to transform us? If we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to completely transform our lives, then I would want to ask, can we not expect more out of Christians, particularly more out of Christian men? I think we end up having a negative view of the Spirit because we say, well, the Spirit can't empower us enough to come overcome those desires. I think that's false. I don't think Scripture supports that. But like I said, we tend to target these discussions at men, which I think undervalues men. I, I, w- because we say, well, you, you're just never going to be good enough to control yourself. Mm-hmm. So you got to get married and you got to run away from every woman you come in contact with. Well, um, not only is that a bad view of women, it's a bad view of men. I want to say, can we not expect more of ourselves and expect more of the spirit? Uh, Should we not expect the Spirit to be able to help us control our desires and to steward our sexuality in the way God intends? And I think that's what we should expect out of the Spirit. And so I think that's what we should expect out of Christians. Um, Will we make mistakes? Yes. Do we need to understand ourselves and set boundaries? Yes. But I would want to say, let's stop under valuing sex let's talk about it let's get it out of the dark corner and bring it into the light so that it can be used in the pop not only in the positive way that god intends but also to take power away from the negative expressions of it let's expect more from the holy spirit let's believe the holy spirit actually dwells in us and actually causes change in us can actually empower us to be transformed to look like god therefore let's expect more out of the church more out of Christians because of all those other reasons. Yeah, there's, you hit on this, um, but if I can go in on it a little more. So there are occasions where sex is talked about, though we probably try to avoid the word. Sexual immorality is a little easier to say, I think, (laughs) for people, as weird as that sounds. Uh, But it speaks to your point of uh, the dark corner even when sex is talked about in whatever form that may be, uh, it's typically discussed only negatively. So here's this positive God-made thing uh, within the marriage relationship, but that's not the discussion. The discussion is here is here are is this sinful aspect of it. Here's this sinful aspect of it. Here's this sinful aspect of it. So it continues to keep it in this dark spot. But then you end up with all these questions of, well, then why does it exist? And 
how can we also say God made this in joy, but never talk about that uh, when it's in the right place? Um, you get discussions of speaking to both of your points, um, modesty, which is another one of those things which should be talked about. Uh, it's a little more expansive than the way that we typically discuss it, though, uh, as it's typically a we can't expect men to be self-controlled, so women, you need to dress better so that they don't go down this lust situation, which will lead them to sex, which is bad. Well, there's a lot of things wrong with that discussion, <laughs> a lot of things wrong, uh, and a lot of conclusions that it causes us to draw that, I mean, it's it's no wonder, uh, especially when we add into that marriage will solve the, the lust issue, it doesn't. Yeah, there's a reason that pornography is rampant and among Christians and married uh, Christian men that it's so uh, pervasive because marriage doesn't fix lust. We're not dealing with self-control like we should be and positively saying, here's what sex is and what it's for and what it represents. Instead, it's here's how it's bad and here's how you can try to make him not go down this bad thought process. And by the way, we'll never tell him that he needs to be self-controlled. Or if we do, it'll just be a blip. Like, man, there's so much wrong with the conversation about sex. It's like we've never read Song of Solomon. It's like we've never read the Bible. <laughs> um, but man, Song of Solomon is the most positive, so like... Holy cow, is this really how the Bible speaks about the sexual relationship? Like, yes. I tell is. people Well, it's it's about Christ and the church, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh Jesus wasn't a thing in the Old Testament, by the way. I, I, I tell people Song <laughs> of Solomon. Um I, I, I tell people if you read through it and you're thinking to yourself, is he saying what I think he's saying? Uh, he's probably saying something even worse than what you think he's saying. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, it, it's just pervasive. But I really like what you said. Three quick thoughts came into my mind, and two of them are probably going to make some people angry. Um, <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, but the first one you you kind of hit on, I'm glad you brought up the idea of the way we talk about modesty. Because we talk about modesty in women cover yourself up because men can't control themselves. And... I, I'm, I'm sorry. I think that's absolute garbage. I mean, be, uh, is it something we need? Is modesty something we need to talk about? Yes, but your modesty is to be modest. It's not because of other people. If, if we hold ourselves accountable for everything that somebody else does, we never do anything. Yep. Right. And we again, we end up making just talking about women as sexual objects. We end up sexualizing them by trying not to. Yep. We actually end up doing the complete opposite thing and we hold them accountable for everything that a man thinks. And I want to say, no, hold the man accountable for what he thinks and expect more out of him. We also have a very bad definition of lust. Um, yeah. It, it, it seems to me that when Jesus talks about lust, it's much more than sexual attraction because if that was the case um we, we've got a lot of other problems i, I it's got to be more than that but that's a conversation again for another day uh but it it, it makes all, all these kind of problems and i want to say no let's talk about modesty and hold men and women accountable for that 
But then let's talk about lust and hold men and women accountable for lusting and not be able to blame someone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's hold them accountable for their thoughts and for what they're doing, because that also naturally leads to something like, let's say a woman, a woman gets sexually harassed or abused or raped and people will sometimes want to blame her sometimes because of what she was wearing. And it's like no woman has ever done anything to deserve to be treated that way. Yep. Hold the man accountable who did that and expect more from him. And then we can go have other conversations if we want to, but don't bring don't bring that one in. It's it's not helpful. Um and it gives it, then it, you can even add to that, it gives men an excuse. Well, it's not my fault. Uh, it was hers. No, no, sorry, man. It was your fault. Um, yeah. you, talk about the, <laughs> you, you talked about the way that we talked about it. When we talk about it, particularly to young people in churches, it's abstinence only. Just don't do it. And that's kind of the extent of our conversation. Again, when you look at studies and what actually happens in the real world, the more comprehensive sex education is. So again, the more young people know about it, the less likely they are to engage in it. So it works the opposite. Again, it's putting it in the dark corner and allowing things to fester that we don't want to, but we allow them to because we don't talk about it. Uh, you mentioned, and then you mentioned talking about it negatively. Um, when I was an undergrad, one of the classes we had to take was human sexuality. And our professor asked, what we had been taught about sex in church, like how was it delivered to us, if at all? And you would be amazed. I mean, th- th- this is one of the saddest days of my life. I'm not, it's not even an exaggeration. The number of girls in that class who had been taught s- about sex at church, and this is what they've been told. This is a if you could kind of summarize what a lot of them had been told, something to this effect. Um, sex is bad unless you're married. And as a woman, sex is not going to be enjoyable. You're going to hate it, but you got to do it for your husband. Otherwise, he's going to go sleep with somebody else. Yep. Is th- That is the most unbiblical definition of sex that... I've ever heard. Yeah, what and it a great blew my gift. mind the number of people that, particularly the number of young women, that that's what they were taught yep. at church by other women. Yep. Um, just completely blows my mind. And um, so when we yeah, say they're, undervaluing they're, sex, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like all of these things, they're so. My, like honestly, the the length of this episode too right now, we we maybe could have doubled this. There's there's so much to be said about this particular subject. I, uh, I got myself on one of my soapboxes, <laughs> and I knew it was going to be bad. But I didn't know how much I had in the the tank for that either uh, to bring up. There's there's just so much about the way we talk about, it. and then and then we expect this to work of transitioning into our our next part here with marriage we expect there to be like this complete uh tonal shift for 
both men and women, uh, when marriage occurs, like, okay, you're married now, so here's sex. Sex is great, by the way, and uh, you're allowed, you know, go ahead. Like, you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't talk about it only negatively and then go, hey, uh, it's all good now because uh, you're married and all this stuff. There's, what, what do I do? Like, how does this work? What's it for? What's it mean? Uh, what's okay, what's not okay, just all these questions. And you know who's answering that question? Not the church. Google. <laughs> the people that are um. overvaluing sex within the world. <laughs> and that's where people will find their answers, and they won't have any scripture to balance that on other than, well, it's not this, so I guess it's fine, which is not how that works. So uh, I, yeah. I know people, couples, that one or both of them have had diagnosable uh, sexual dysfunction uh, problems mm. of, of varying kinds yeah. that are traced back to psychological blocks because of the way they were taught about sex in church growing up. Yeah, uh, It was so negative that when they got married and it's time for them to flip the switch, they couldn't. The, the, the switch could not be flipped yep. without extensive therapy. Uh, and uh, pretty much all of them are able to work through it, but it takes a long, long time, and it's very, very hard uh, on the relationship, especially if it's just one of the two that's having the problem. That that, that can put a lot of strain on a marriage. Yeah. When, I, I mean, and it, again, it's traced back to the way that it was talked about in church. I mean, it... it Therapy ends up being dealing with, you could almost say, the trauma of the way that sex was discussed in, in church. Mm. And I don't think I'm wrong in using the word trauma no. because to develop the kind of issues that some people have is a traumatic response. It's the kind of response that someone, it's very similar to the type of response someone has after being sexually abused as a child. They have similar types of problems in their marriage. Um, yeah, when you have something that is like on one hand, uh, clearly a just from your from your created self in God's image that there is this pull and attraction, and it's you're even told in places it's a good thing, uh, and then you have on the other side of that, uh, here's why it's bad, here's why it's bad, here's why it's bad. It's like okay, well, both of these things can't be true, and so you end up with these people that are stuck in two opposing truths and that really that really messes with people's heads uh and then by extension your bodies and all of this that's that's absolutely what trauma it, is th th there's a there's a word for it it's called cognitive dissonance yep. when we hold two contradictory views at the same time it creates cognitive dissonance and human beings are unable for an extended period of time to live in cognitive dissonance um, something eventually has to give. Yeah. And, and sometimes the wrong thing gives. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we've got to be places that properly value sex uh, as well as marriage. Speaking of which, because of the way that we discuss sex, that leads to a uh, an imbalance in the way that we discuss marriage because it places, instead of the proper weight on both of those things, uh, we place... Uh, more weight on one thing to counteract the 
negative uh, evils of the other thing uh, in our discussions? And in what ways do we overvalue marriage as uh, as the church? So when we push sex into that dark corner, it's been our imagery. When we push sex into that dark corner uh, and don't talk about it and run away from it uh, and push people just to get married because that's when you can do it. Uh, when that's the way we talk about sex is to not talk about it and just push everybody to get married and then tell them, that, you know, then you can flip the switch at that point. What that causes us to then do, whether we realize it or not, is we end up talking about marriage as if it were the epitome or the highest level of Christianity. Yep. It's to, well, to be a good Christian You've got to get married. And that makes sense if we accept the way we typically talk about sex. Because if you can't control, if we can't expect people to control themselves, then it would make sense to say, well, yeah, to be a good Christian, you have to get married. Because Mm -hmm. you're just going to live in sin uh, if you don't. Uh, But as we talked about, that's not how scripture talks about sex. And that's not how Scripture talks about marriage. Uh, a Christian, Christian marriages are not a higher level of Christianity than Christians who are not married. Uh, but because that's the way we tend to talk about marriage, what ends up happening is we, in churches, we end up designing our Bible classes or our small groups or our church activities around families and children, disregarding our single Christians and disregarding couples without children. Yep. Uh and I will tell you from firsthand experience that that is true in 99.9% of churches. Um, what's interesting is I have virtually never felt fully comfortable in a church as a single person because everything's designed around families with children. And I work in churches. So that yeah. includes churches that I've worked for as the minister. It's like, I don't quite fit in because there's nothing for someone like me. Um, It's all designed around families and kids. And that's from the, the friends that I have that are either single or married and haven't started families yet. That's the biggest complaint that I get. It's like, well, we go to a class, there's other people that are close to our age, but they all have kids. And so every Bible conversation turns into a conversation about children. And it's like, I I don't know what to do because I don't, that doesn't apply to me. That's not applicable to me. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, I don't fit. Um, Can I interject one thing real quick? Yes. this is another one of those things too. If there is some kind of singles ministry within a church, it's often based around singles getting together to potentially uh, meet somebody and then end up in marriage and then hopefully a family from there. Like even when we do attempt a singles thing at a lot of churches, that's what it's geared towards is, well, let's get you out of this singleness. <laughs> like, man, that's... <sighs> Just, just yeah. wanted to interject that in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well, you know, it's almost like your singleness is a disease, and let me get it out of you. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to put you in this group, 
and I know that uh, we've had the church that I'm at now. Uh, we just started doing some life groups, and we intentionally created a group for uh, couples without children, single mm. people, or some couples that like just started, like a newborn, like they're not quite in the same stage of life yet as yeah. uh, older children. And I know we've had people that have visited that don't have children. And we're asking about the groups, but we're like, hey, we've tried this before, but we never quite fit in because we were always stuck with uh, people that are just not in the same place in life as we are. And we just didn't feel like we connected with them very well. And it was like, we, we want to find s- some people that we can connect to a little better. And it's like, yeah, at the same time, we all need to connect to each other regardless of where we are in life. But it's also important for us to con- connect with people that are in our stage of life. And we don't do that as the church um, um, because of the way that we tend to overvalue uh, marriage. Um, and that just doesn't fit with, again, what Paul says that it's he's like, hey, it's better to remain single because you can devote your life to the Lord. Right. Is that for everyone? No. But we have to recognize that Paul said it. So if anything, you could make the argument that being single is a higher level of Christianity. I don't think that it is. But if you had to pick one and make an argument for it, there's a more solid argument for singleness than there is for marriage. Um, at least in the words of Paul, Paul was single, Jesus was single. You know, just throw that out there. Um, but that also contradicts with the fact that as Christians, we believe that true life and satisfaction comes through a relationship with God not a relationship with another human being. We believe that all people, whether they're single or whether they're married, whether they have kids or whether they don't, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can live a faithful life of obedience and service to God. Uh, If we believe that, then stop acting like people have to get married. I know people talk to me about, well, you you know, one day you'll get married and it's as if, well, then you'll actually find a nice life that'll be enjoyable. And I want to say without being rude, it's like, no, I, I can live just as joyful and happy as a, of a life as you can, because that's found in God, not in another human being. Yep. It's a different kind of happiness. It's a different kind of life, but it's not that you can't find that without a spouse. But again, that's the way we talk about it. Um, but that also leads us to talk about children as the epitome or the highest level of a Christian marriage it's like well you get together uh you get married and when you get married then you have to have kids right if you're married without kids every time you go to church someone's going to come up to you and ask well hey when are you gonna have a kid yeah right? it's like that's the next thing that uh, a christian is supposed to do we just expect christian couples to have children and that's probably at least loosely based on be fruitful multiply fill the earth sure in genesis I- i'm sure that's where we get it from and i think that text shows us the significance of having children but that's far from saying that you have to, and it's far from saying that uh, it's a higher level of Christianity to have kids. Yep. I mean, I think sometimes we think that a Christian has to have kids, and if you choose not to have kids, that's wrong and that's selfish. And I, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. I, it's not said anywhere. Uh, I think we have to understand that some people are called by God, led by God, gifted by God to start families. Others aren't. Just like I would argue some are called and led by God to get married and some to remain single. 
Um, and with that, you can kind of add to that. Well, because kids are a higher level, uh, sometimes we'll even say things, particularly to, to mothers usually, uh, that they've got to stay home with the the kids, and that's the superior, higher level, higher level of Christian work uh, is to uh, if. If Christians have to get married and married Christians have to have children, then it makes sense that, well, then you got to stay home and take care of the, the kids. Um, and again, I would argue you don't have to. So, so a couple thoughts uh, on that. We go back to what we spoke about a couple weeks ago. Uh, being a stay-at-home parent, being a parent in general, is a beautiful thing, and it's a difficult calling, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's difficult, but it is a beautiful thing. It is a desirable thing. We talked about how our world tends not to desire it. It yeah. is a desirable thing. Uh, however, Scripture never says that it's the only desirable thing, or that it's the only way to organize a family. Um, that it's a, a superior way of living than any other way. I think what we have to recognize is that not every person, particularly not every woman, we tend to in this case put more pressure on women has the personality and or the gifts to be a stay-at-home parent. That's not for everyone. Not everybody can succeed at that. Some can, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a great thing. It's a difficult thing. Uh, Others can't, and that's fine. That's not any less good. It's just the way that it is. You add to that, some people need a little time every once in a while away from their children to recharge, right? Some need to send them to school or to daycare, or to the weekend at their grandparents' house, right? I mean, parents need that. Um, that's fine. That's natural. That, that doesn't make you a bad parent to be like, hey, you know, I need a weekend away to recharge. Uh, we're all built differently. Um, some spouses need that from each other. It's like, hey, let's take a guy's weekend, a girl's weekend. doesn't make you a bad spouse. That's just the way some people are wired. It's just a psychological need. That some of us have. Um, uh, in other words, I would kind of sum up by saying, in, in this regard to marriage and children in particular, that we shouldn't be shaming parents, uh, particularly mothers who choose not to stay at home or couples that choose not to have children. Um, we should expect every uh we should not expect every parent, especially every mother, to have the kind of personality where they're able to do that, to be at home with the kids 24-7. Not everybody's wired to do that. Like I said, that doesn't make them a good parent or a bad parent either way. Uh, what I think Scripture says makes a good parent is one who cares for the needs of their children, treats them with love and respect, and raises them up in the Lord. Uh, read Colossians three eighteen through 21 Ephesians 5, 21-33. Uh, about families, about fathers, uh, mothers, wives, husbands. And I think that's kind of what rises to the surface. Yeah. I don't know if we'll maybe do, I think we've done it a little bit here, but maybe pursue it further. I've got some thoughts uh, of uh, maybe proper valuations of, of these things, uh, or maybe how we can properly address these particular issues uh, within churches uh, somewhat practically. I don't know. Well, and when it when it comes down to it, I, I'll, last thing I'll say yeah. is that when it comes down to it, our call is to live out the gospel yep. 
whether we're married or we're single, whether we have kids, whether we don't, whether we're a stay-at-home parent or we're working in the business world. We're called to live out the gospel. Uh, None of those, I think, is better than any other one because the call is not to do any of those things. It's to live out the gospel. And at the core of the gospel is our identity in Christ. It's not our identity as a spouse or as a parent, as a child, you know, as a uh, CEO or whatever we're doing. That's not where our identity is. Our identity is in Christ. And that's where the gospel is found. So let's live out the gospel and let's teach the gospel and stop making up all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I read recently as we come to a close here, talked about um, those within married uh, relationships are a reflection of the Christ church relationship now, and that's Ephesians 5. Um, But then he also went on uh, in his writing to talk about singleness as a reflection of the relationship then of this you know, uh, they'll be like the angels in heaven, neither uh, married nor given in marriage. This idea of we will be us and uh, God forever. And in both of those relationships, the uh, there is a reflection of this relationship that we have or will have with God. And by extension, like you said, living out the gospel in those ways. Which one's better? They aren't. The, the life that elevates the gospel and shows uh, Christ, as we bear the image of God, that's that's the best life. Uh, that's the better one. However that may look is going to be different uh, given our various circumstances, but the call is the same in all of these places. That's what we've got. I think this was a, a good episode. We probably said sex more on this. <laughs> on this hey, podcast. I think, I don't, I still don't, th- uh, um, <laughs> I still don't think we uh, said it as much as I did in my sermon. I I spoke on Song of Solomon earlier this year uh, because I was just going through each book on Sunday evenings, and I made a point to say sex a lot uh, and even said, I'm going to say that a lot so that we can get comfortable with the word. Uh, That was fun. I also had an older lady come talk to me afterwards, but uh, I digress. Uh, If you would like to hear more about uh, these particular subjects, we'll have some discussions on these things, including uh, one of the lessons that I'll put up that I did on the hookup culture, uh, where, yes, sex will be talked about somewhat negatively, but I'm going to focus in on this this positive aspect on it. Uh, And so make sure that you're at thinkingtheologically.org to see those things as they get posted. Uh, Be sure to check our Facebook page for notifications when we upload all of those things. And of course, reach out to us with any uh, subjects or thoughts that you may have uh, on any episodes that we've covered or future episodes uh, that we may do. That'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next time.